Let's go. You're listening to Making Data Simple, where we make the world of data effortless, relevant, and yes, even fun. Hi, folks. Welcome to Making Data Simple. I'm so glad you're here. Uh, that way I don't have to talk to myself. This is Al Martin speaking. Um, thank you again. Please, you know, always reach out to us at almartintalksdata at gmail.com. Uh, we'd like to have any comments. Any comments are fair, but if you have guests, we'll certainly uh, get back to you. Uh, you know, we use that forum quite frequently. But again, thank you for being here. Thank you for your suggestions. Thank you for your good words. We're just going to have some fun today. And, and as always, I've got a great guest, uh, Mr. Steve Robinson, who's a general manager for Red Hat Synergy with IBM. And he's in the IBM Cloud and Cognitive Division. A little bit about Steve. Let's see if I can talk him up before I turn it over to him. Um, he went to Wake Forest University. That's where he got his BS. He's got his uh, MBA at uh, Duke University. We won't hold that against him. I'm sure he's a KU fan at heart. <laughs> but um, he's been at IBM for nearly 20 years. Again, he's responsible for Red Hat Synergy. He held a strong responsibility for the acquisition. Uh, he's been a general manager for IBM uh, Cloud Labs, you know, working directly with our clients on their cloud journey, ensuring their success with uh, cloud technologies. Um, that also includes, you know, everything from architectural insight to professional services, enablement, support, on and on. Uh, Steve also created the concept of IBM garages or cloud garages, which is essentially a design-infused entrepreneurial environment where we drive, you know, we incubate different um, new ideas and rapid innovations on the cloud. I could go on. I'll go on just a little bit longer, but, you know, he's got an extensive resume. He's a general manager or was a general manager of, of cloud platform services. He formed the IBM Security Systems Division. Um, boy, he was, he was a vice president of our product management strategy for, and, and boy, rational technical services for the Lotus division. Is there anything, Steve, that you haven't done is the question. Well, Al, I think you're kind of hitting it all other than being a KU fan. <laughs> I'm ACC all the way through it. I just want to thank you again for, uh, you made me a little bit younger than I am. I've actually had 35 years at IBM. I think that's why that, uh, that resume reads a little bit long. 35 but, years, okay. Yeah, that was yeah. one of my questions. I said, how do you accomplish all that in 20 years? Well, I'm one of those guys you think I've worked in, you know, I think I worked in almost every single division that we had in software group. And then as we kind of started clouding some of the new units, I was fortunate enough to, I'm always on the front end of new initiatives, new units, new projects, new products, new uh, divisions, new acquisitions. So uh, they kind of, they kind of farm me out a little bit to get the experience across the board. So it's been, a, it's been a great career and, uh, and I, I got a pretty good background in a lot of spaces. I, I would say so. And by the way, uh, maybe most importantly for me, uh, a very strong uh, mentor. And one thing that Steve often says to me is, hey, you got to have a side hustle. Dude, you've had a ton of side hustles. I mean, they turned into a permanent hustle. <laughs> well, it's funny. I was, I was talking to my daughter uh, this week about that whole notion of side hustles. I, I love to start things. And uh, I think, you know, as I, as I mentor individuals, et cetera, they're saying, oh, I'm, I'm so completely, you know, uh, my, my time and calendar are completely filled in the job that we have today. Uh, but uh, I go back to you know a comment that Steve Mills, who was the uh, the SVP over the software group, and he said you know the, the the thing is you know we need individuals that are going to 
you know, push the unit, push IBM, push how we do business here. So I've been fortunate enough to either with my work with lab services or things like starting the security division or the, the cloud garages or, or even Red Hat or, or launching IBM Cloud Private, you know, I've always kind of had these kind of, you know, side hustles that I've been able to get into. And, you know, I never had budget or headcount, but uh, I think you, you stick around IBM for 35 years, you figure <laughs> out how to do things. So that's part of the job that makes it fun. And uh, it also kind of helps to leave a, leave a nice legacy behind as well. So it's been, it's been a good ride with the side hustles. So, yeah, yeah, again, I'd say so. You've done extremely well. So let me, uh, I I went through a long, extensive, you know, your, essentially your, your resume, so to speak. But how would you describe yourself? Well, you know, when uh, I joined IBM, I joined IBM as a programmer, and I think it very quickly dawned on me. I think I was the uh, first class out of Wake Forest that had a minor in computer science. So when I came into IBM, I was competing about uh, competing with guys that had gone to Stanford and MIT and Georgia Tech and Clemson. I, I quickly found out that my little man, minor was not going to stand up to the uh, the deep majors and masters and PhDs that some of these other guys had. So. Uh, it wasn't long before my programming career uh, kind of reached its peak. Uh, junior ball would be my uh, my comment around that. Uh, but I did find I had a, had a good trait around uh, the management side. And uh, again, my, my my double major undergraduate was business and then going back to Duke to get my MBA. You know, I kind of felt that was my strong point, managing in a, in a technical environment. So I always had the dream of uh, being a GM and uh, or either running my own business and to do that, you know, I felt that I had to have, you know, quite a few of the core disciplines under my belt. So um, I was flexible enough that I've had, you know, multiple development jobs. I've had the support role. Uh, I was one of the original folks that started Lab Services. Um, at one point, they called me up to be head of sales at Rational. Uh, I was head of products and strategy uh, in the security unit. Uh, I was product manager again with Bluemix and IBM Cloud Private. And then I've done a handful of acquisitions as well. I think if you have aspirations to be a general manager, you have to be willing to spend a little bit of time in all the primary roles so that if you do become a general manager, you're ready to understand the spaces of all your uh, team and also be able to make some decisions and also lay down a good strategy across those. I think these days, you know, every single aspect within a unit is critically important and none of those disciplines are standing still. You know, how we support, how we do land and expand, how we do sales, how we do strategy, the competitive landscape, you know, all of those, you've got to be on your toes for every one of them. So I'm a big believer that the more breadth that you have, uh, the more you'll be suited to be a great general manager should you get there. So look, I want to dive into like Red Hat, where IBM is, where it's going. But I gotta, I gotta ask you a few more questions on this because your, your diversity of roles is is certainly notable. I mean, I, I everything from as you mentioned, consulting, sales, security, product management, uh, cloud. Now, now, uh, Red Hat, uh, Synergy. What what do you think is your secret to be able to expand those various domains? I mean, what what? I mean, how do you learn? Because you just don't walk into sales after you've not done sales in in. Uh, be an expert. So you fake it till you make it. I mean, what, what's the key to success? Well, I've always told individuals that, you know, a little bit, I think you got to be at the you know, right place, right time and uh, luck and timing never hurt. But I always tell people, you know, if you're going to take a brand new role and it's not in the discipline that you're in, you know, say you're, you're taking a step from development into sales pick the right role. I tend to say, if you're, if you're going to make a brand new career shift, 
you know, try to take at least 60% of the core skills with you or, or ensure that you've got 60% of the core skills that you're going to need in that new job in order to be successful. I've had some friends, you know, they would take one and about 80% of the new job would be new. And the problem is, is you just don't get your legs under you uh, to the point that you can be successful, especially in that first couple of years where you have to lay down a strategy and then you have to see it execute. So like my first sales role was I went from development and I spent a lot amount of my career around the developer community, around development tools, around languages. So Rational was a per perfect fit. You know, I, I knew how to build code. I knew what the life cycle was. I knew the Rational tool set well. I knew how to talk to VPs of developments. I knew how to talk to CIOs. So when I went into that sales role, I had to learn more of the direct sales piece, which is more of the, the cadence and the financials and the pipeline and how you motivate sellers and how you do commissions, et cetera. But the base technology and the base products, I was, I was very comfortable in uh, as well. So I think a good advice is, you know, take a wholesale view of what your skills are, match them up with that new role as it emerges. And again, I say that 60% and I've tested that with a few folks and it seems to hold water pretty well. If you think you have 60% and can learn the next 40, you're going to be fine. You still may have a little knock need in the first six months, but you'll get there. If it's more than that, you may be stretching yourself a little bit much. So I've always kind of used that as a base rule. Can I bring my core skills in? Can I bring my network in a little bit with me? And uh, do I have enough base that I can quickly lay down that strategy and see it be successful? Do you believe in mentors? Do you have one? You know, I kind of believe, I told somebody, I have a board of directors and uh, um, not a single mentor, uh, but I always have a handful of folks that when it comes time for me to make a strategic decision, uh, that I can bounce it off of them and get their input as well. I think some of us use a mentor primarily around career-related aspects, uh, but very early on, um, I started using kind of this board of directors uh, as I had key decisions uh, to make. You know, when I, uh, I took my first executive position at Lotus, you know, we had a very difficult decision to make on whether we exited the Latin America market. And, you know, I used folks like Al Zoller and uh, Mike Zisman, et cetera, to, to talk through the pros and cons on that. They weren't going to solve the problem for me, but at least I could bounce the idea off and get their understanding with it as well. When we launched Blue Mix, uh, you know, from Don Ripper to Robert LeBlanc, Danny Sabo, you know, I, I really sat down with these guys to talk about the decision that we made. I think overall you find you make about three to four big decisions every year. You know, these things are things that will affect your unit, affect the people, uh, get us into a new area, you know, if, you know, commit a significant amount of capital to it. And those are the ones that I've always felt that you want to be able to air them out, get some good advice, and do that. And I think when you reach out to them and they feel like they've helped you advise to make the decision, they then see you make that decision, they see the outcome from it, uh, then they're always strong supporters for you on your career as well. Look, I, I've always looked at mentors in terms of a coach, a network mentor, or a career mentor, like like different three legs of the table. Yep. And almost always you find one that's good at one and not the other. I mean, that's fine. That's we have multiple mentors. But I got to give you some credit, man. Because of your extensive network, all the roles that you've played, I think you're one of the first ones I've seen that can cross all three of those spectrum spectrum. So, uh, you know, kudos to you. Well, yeah, I think, I think the key thing is everybody needs help. You know, as I've started working more with Jim Whitehurst at Red Hat and Arvind and, you know, it's, you know, everybody's got coaches, you know, I think everybody, you know, it's just like working out or going on a diet or, you know, trying to run a marathon, you know, that coach can't, 
they're not going to carry the water for you. Sometimes I call them Sherpas, you know, but, you know, they've been there. They, they've, they've seen the path ahead and they're also observing you as you're trying to do it. And just that little bit of help goes a long way. So if you can get help and you can build a good bonding relationship, I think it pays dividends downstream. Yeah, I kind of call it a, a practice. I mean, you got to have a learning practice. You, you have a so because it, it, it just like if you're doing a sport to your point, you practice, you practice, you practice. That's what makes perfect. I got you there. One more question. I'm going to drive into to some questions I have for you on Red Hat, but not including Red Hat. Out of all those roles, what role do you think you learn the most in? You know, it's always additive. You know, I think, you know, we all become kind of the result of our history. And, uh, you know, it's uh, you and I have talked about this a little bit, too. I, I, I tend to view a, a career a little bit like a, a GPS problem. You know, you know, for a GPS to work, one, you have to know where you are. And, and, and secondarily, point B, you have to know where you're going. And uh, then it maps out a roadway for you to get from where you are to where you're going. And I think all of those tend to uh, tend to, uh, to to be great. I think, you know, I was reflecting back, you know, over the holidays with my wife and just, you know, just every step getting to learn something new and how you're able to use that to parlay that into the next step as well. You know, even the team we went through on closing the Red Hat deal, you know, this was, you know, the largest acquisition, software acquisition ever done uh, in software history. We were up against numerous uh, government agencies. The overall scale of this thing of $34 billion, uh, had the eyes of the world on it. And, you know, going to, you know, I don't want to say going to war, that's sometimes that's a strong analogy, but going into a high pressure situation where we knew there was could only be one outcome, and that is that we would clear and we would close and we would try to make sure that we had as few follow-up items as possible. But, you know, going through an experience like that of high stress with people that you highly respect and you you know, you work day and night with, you know, those are the things that really bond fantastic memories that, uh, you know, last a lifetime. So all of those have been been fantastic. Very good. Very good. Good answer. All right, Steve. So let's jump in it. You were you were and are still at the um, what I want to say, you're at the spearhead of the acquisition of Red Hat. Sure. Uh, and you must feel like the eyes of the world are looking upon you and the technology and what IBM is doing here. The listeners count on me to be ask the tough questions. So let me just get it out there. Why would IBM spend $34 billion on an open source company named Red Hat? Well, you know, we get asked that a lot. Uh, if you want to go visit any CIO right now, uh, just say, hey, Steve will come tell you why we, why we spent $34 billion. And boom, <laughs> that door opens immediately because I think a lot of people want to, want to know. You know, I think that we were at a very interesting juncture uh, at IBM. And, um, and, and fortunately, a lot of the, the work that I had been doing both on the public cloud and with Bluemix and even with IBM Cloud Private had begun to kind of test some of these new edges uh, in the marketplace. Uh, I think even with Bluemix, you know, we, we explored quite a bit on, you know, what does hybrid really mean? And to do hybrid right, you know, could we actually start to bring some cloud native capabilities you know, into dedicated clouds and even all the way back to private clouds and into data centers themselves. Now at IBM, you know, we had been kind of testing this theory all along. You know, we had tried it with the pure systems and we had tried it with Bluemix and then we launched IBM Cloud Private. And it gave us the light bulb that this really is where we think cloud is going to go. That if we could have a consistent fabric that went all the way from multiple public clouds back to the mainframe, even all the way out to the edge cases that we saw coming up, 
uh, that we could uh, really carve out a very unique space. And there's these kind of times in the industry, I kind of call it these tectonic shift points where there's kind of a coalescence of agreement between the vendors out there. And we had seen this in the early days of the internet. You know, if you recall back in the early days of the internet, there was extranet and public internet and private internet and corporate internet. And then all of a sudden there was a rally point around a, a small handful of standards such as TCP IP or HTTP or URL that really all the vendors rallied around and it just became the internet. You know, a page could be served up and you never had to worry about where the server was behind it. And we're at that point now, you know, over the past handful of years, we've seen the growth of Linux, uh, both, you know, on-premise and also as the predominant operating system on the mainframe. We've seen the growth of containers. You know, a lot of it started back in the Linux days and then expanded with the, the work that Docker did. And then finally, the orchestration of containers by Kubernetes that Google started that uh, has caught hold. You know, that started to become this kind of lingua franca of a common cloud definition across any uh, environment. So we started to latch on to Linux and Kube and containers. And uh, that was kind of the basis when we, we launched ICP. We, we put it out in market and we were really surprised on how fast we got uptake on it. But to really do enterprise grade workloads and enterprise grade support, the thing we always felt was missing is we really could not control the stack all the way down through the operating system to the bare metal. Uh, you know, we, we put our thoughts around ICP and I remember Arvin called up and he said, you know, what do you think about Red Hat? And, and we've been battling uh, OpenShift in the market as a competitor. And I said, you know, the thing that they've got is the operating system itself is certified on 5,000 pieces of hardware. OpenShift only runs on rail. Their services only run on OpenShift. I said, that rock solid stack is just something that we don't have. And he said, should we get it? And I'm like, man, that's a great idea. <laughs> so we got the wheels in motion to really give that a thought. Uh, um, we knew it was going to be a big bet. Uh, we had to put a lot of pieces in place to make sure the company itself was comfortable with it. I think the company believed in hybrid uh, when we extended the definition to multi-cloud. And one of the nice things Red Hat had was deep relationships with Google and Amazon and Azure and Alibaba and IBM that the pieces really started to fall in place. Uh, so several ideas went forward to the board. Uh, we did a lot of work around what this could do for IBM. Could it be the basis of our cloud strategy? Could it be the basis for our middleware strategy? Could this be something that could revitalize GTS? Uh, could the GBS folks build applications that would inherit all these attributes? Could our system group extend this to the PNZ? And all the pieces just started fitting together. So with that, we were able to put a very compelling case together. Uh, fortunately, sometimes timing is fantastic. We caught uh, Red Hat at the right price in the marketplace. And based off their other relationships, um, uh, there was a very active cycle right at the end, but we were able to put a bid together that uh, would stand out from the others. So I think it's a lot of faith and confidence from Jenny and the board. And I have to hand it to Arvin for both having the genesis of the idea, but also weaving it into a story that, uh, again, IBM would be willing to put a third of their net value on the line to go after and get. So, so Great answer. I was going to ask more specifically, how does Red Hat accelerate IBM's mission and vision around what you term hybrid cloud? 
and what Red Hat uniquely adds there, but it, I think you may have hit on. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. My, my, my long-winded answer may have picked no, up. No, I think you. I think you nailed it. But I just want to restate: it, is it really? It's the ability for us to, you know, be on so many platforms inherently with a microservices architecture that differentiates us in the market. Is that it? Is that best characterized? I'm sure you could say it better. I, th- I think it is. You know, we've been talking to, you know, just this week, we've been doing a piece of work with McKinsey that we've been talking to about 30 managing directors at IBM. And, and we started doing a piece of work to see what is the real value of hybrid multi-cloud over just traditional public cloud only. Uh, the original McKinsey work that came back said that hybrid could be as much as two and a half times more valuable to the client than simply going with a public only store. You know, it would help a client uh, accelerate their business. It would speed how they build applications and also help them more consistently train their programmers without having to worry about where the workload would reside. Uh, there's always infrastructure savings that if I have a consistent platform on all my environments, then, uh, you know, I get you know, just with the whole notion of containers, I get better virtualization and compactness uh, out of that as well. Um, we also end up with a better business choice. So maybe I can enter a new geography faster. I can move workloads if there's a security issue, um, et cetera. So we started finding some, some great attributes that uh, came into play uh, as well. And we started, when we talked to accounts, we started to find that not all their workloads were going up to public. You know, there was still a large bulk of them, you know, about 80% that either had not moved or they were still trying to figure out how to move them. And the other thing too, is almost every account is having to deal with multiple clouds. If you start to factor in things like Workday and Salesforce and uh, VMs, you know, they're, they're dealing with anywhere from two to 16 different clouds. And that brings in a complexity is how do I manage? How do I do logging? How do I do monitoring? As you well know, how do I deal with the data in a hybrid deployment? You know, how do we set consistent behavior? How do I know that my code is compliant? Um, and we started to see that there is this tremendous need to be able to span all of these. In many cases, it's not going to replace what they've done with AWS or Azure, but being able to consistently lay a set of capabilities on top of it was something that nobody else was doing. And it's been a little bit funny that since we announced the acquisition and the closure of Red Hat, we've seen uh, AWS with uh, Outpost and uh, uh, Azure with uh, Azure Stack and then Google with Anthos quickly running. What did IBM see there? And now we see them trying to trying to piece together a, a hybrid story as fast as they can. But we're very well positioned for it right now. How, how you, you mentioned this is a, a big bet. Obviously, it is a big bet. But my, I guess my question is maybe, I don't know, this is like a Barbara Walters question. I hope not. But how big is this bet? How, I mean, is it, is it the bet? Of all well, uh, imagine having to, uh, it's a big bet. It's a big, <laughs> you know, um, imagine, you know, the, the bulk of the magnitude. This is the largest software acquisition ever. Um, the amount that, uh, you know, us having to put, you know, $34 billion down, you know, about a, about a third of our total rev- annual revenue down for this. Uh, and then I think the interesting part that Jenny said, it's not a single units acquisition like we normally do, but this is IBM and her acquisition that, you know, we saw synergies in every single unit. You know, I think this is a pivot point for IBM. You know, already we've got for the one of the first times in a long time, we've got our entire software portfolio, our entire cloud portfolio, our entire services portfolio, our entire systems portfolio 
all aligning around this. You know, you recall days when, you know, we could barely get the, the database and the app server and the transaction processing and the messaging to, to be in sync in a customer shop. You know, we quickly, as soon as we closed the deal, we announced six cloud packs, which meant our middleware was rebuilt, modular, built as microservices on top of open uh, shift itself, you know, the market itself, I remember talking to one of the gardeners, how in the heck did you guys build this so fast? So it is a pivotal moment here. And this is, we're going to, you know, it's, it's a big bet. And if you look at our last quarter's earnings, you know, Red Hat had a great quarter, you know, 26% growth. You could already see Arvind and the cloud group doing exceptionally well there with 9% growth. So you see it already starting to change our overall business. Uh, we uh, we debated having a drinking game. How many times was Rational mentioned? I mean, Red Hat mentioned in our uh, <laughs> in our uh, for, in our fourth quarter earnings, and uh, uh, I believe it was ninety some times. So it's going to have that degree of of impact. So I think as as Jenny looks at it, you know, this is a pivotal move. I talked to several folks in the investment community, and they applauded us that we were willing to make that bold move. That uh, they would have expected us to do a couple small acquisitions and slowly turn the ship. Uh, but this caught everybody by surprise. So it's a tremendously bold move, not only for us, uh, but I think it's also set the bar that we'll, we'll probably see a other, couple other big moves in the industry this year as well because of that. So I, I, just one comment. I totally agree on the IBM is more aligned than I've ever seen it as a result of this acquisition because it puts everybody in that hybrid cloud strategy with cloud pack microservices that we offer across the entire business. I mean, it's been very refreshing uh, more, you know, I've, ne I've never seen this in my career, obviously, at yeah. IBM. Um, what keeps you up at night? There's got to be something that keeps you up at night. Well, waiting for this deal to close and having to uh, do 300,000 miles of travel last year. <laughs> and, uh, I think we submitted over 30,000 pages to the, the government agencies around this. And that kept me up pretty well. That kept me up pretty well. Um, I think, you know, as we look at it right now, we're just having a ball of fun with it. I think, you know, we've we've closed the deals. We've had two wonderful quarters with Red Hat. Uh, I think we've been able to maintain their independence. I think the, the press is a little frustrated because they all predicted that we would walk in the door, we would integrate them out of the gate, kill everything that was great about Red Hat, uh, deflect them from their open source mission. And it just hasn't happened, you know, it... Uh, you know, we're in the midst of uh, synergies are working well. You know, some are going faster than others, which is expected. The relationships are great. You know, we're starting to see maybe minor one or two individuals move back and forth between the groups. But, you know, we've been able to, you know, keep them going. Um, you know, the whole notion of better together has been our, our rally cry. You know, Red Hat is still Red Hat. Their culture is still strong and vibrant. Uh, we're learning from each other. And uh, it just feels great. Uh, together. So uh, I guess I, I, I dream at night that we, we continue to keep this going as long <laughs> as we can uh, and that we're quickly able to, 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 to tamp down the issues that we see pop up. So, so you know, the only thing is, you know, to continue to see the, you know, this deal have the impact that it has. You know, my goal, you know, I loved what we saw with fourth quarter. I think we all, you know, love to see those types come in and and whole goal is can we can we keep that momentum going in 2020? Here, here to that. I'm all in. So speaking of 2020, what do you see as the three biggest priorities facing IBM and the Red Hat teams going into 2020 here? 
Yeah, I think the, the key thing here is just to, to keep it keep it rolling. You know, I was I was we, we've closed and uh, I think Arvind was telling me uh, Arvind Krishna was telling me that we're kind of, you know, we're in the we're in the toddler phase. And, uh, you know, now I think we have to uh, kind of grow into adolescence now with the overall strategy that, you know, the, the market's not standing still. As I said, you know, uh, AWS and Azure, you know, they're coming in strong into this space. VMware, you know, they've made some very aggressive acquisitions with Pivotal and Carbon Black and Heptio. You know, they see this space as well. So I think the challenge for us, you know, we got to get this new story out uh, with our client base, have these deeper value level conversations with them, have them understand that this platform could be just as important as their SAP, their Workday, their Salesforce uh, deployment have them think a little bit bigger on how this can transform their organization. And then, of course, make sure IBM's right in the middle of it. So as part of that, you know, we're kind of retraining the field. Uh, we're having lots of one-on-one -on -one sessions with our sellers. Uh, we're making sure that they uh, understand the synergies between ourselves and Red Hat and helping the, the sales forces uh, play with each other well uh, in the field. And uh, so I think we got a lot of stuff stacked up for us to, uh, to do. So I think this year will be further development of our development portfolio, getting the fields really humming right, and uh, making sure we've got a story that resonates and stays in front of the, the competition. Fantastic. Thank you so much. Hey, before I let you go, we got to play a, a quick game to get to know Steve. Oh, All right. okay. Yeah. okay. So first part of the game is underrated or overrated. You got <laughs> to pick one side of the equation. So they scare me. They scare me. <laughs> and the second part is would you rather? All right. You with me? You can do this. You can do All this. Right. All right. All right. Underrated, overrated, and like just real quick. And if you want, maybe one bullet as to why. Just real quick. Containers. Containers underrated. I think uh, people will find. Yeah, containers been around a long time. All the way you can we can trace the lineage all the way back to uh, to Linux. It's just a great new virtualization approach. You know, I, I think it is the next virtual machines. And I think it really adds to when we get into the flexibility, the portability, the orchestration, et cetera, we're going to find that almost all the new technologies are going to use it as a base architecture. So uh, it may be new to some of you, but, uh, you know, five to 10 years, it's going to be kind of the only virtualization concept that we talk about. Open source. Underrated, you know, and, and for different reasons, you know, I think open source, I, I probably have learned more about open source in the past year than in my entire career. Uh, and to me, it's all around what Jim Whitehurst and Paul Cormier, two senior executives at Red Hat, call the, the network effect. You know, the network effect, you know, a, a telephone is only useful if everybody has a telephone number. And the interesting thing about open source, what makes it valuable is that innovation is driven by the broad audiences that participate in it. Uh, I'm a strong believer and have continued to, to have this that. You know, no one company can be the source of all innovation. But when you really pick a great community, you have a great set of submitters, you have a wonderful governance model around it, then you everyone is able to take advantage of the innovation around it. And with the rate and pace of technology and the information age that we're in, that's what we need. We're not going to look to one single cloud vendor for all innovation. And I think open source is going to be the only way that we're able to bottle this stuff up, do it at enterprise grade and get it to market. Underrated, overrated, IBM Cloud. I think that it's been underrated. Uh, the work that Harish Grama has been doing on it since he came back from JPMC is outstanding. I think uh, it's time to breathe new life into it. I think the the 
the resiliency and the performance, et cetera, is top notch. Some of the new reviews we're getting from our analyst community puts us heavily in the running. I think it's a sleeper. I think it's going to take another look from our clients, and I think it's going to be the, a, a tremendous surprise winner in 2020 and 2021. All right, a lot of underrateds there. Hey, yep. Porsche 911s. The best vehicle ever put on the planet. <laughs> I was told that was the case. I guess it's the research is correct. It's one of the few cars that I probably know every single screw on. So for the, the listeners, I, uh, I've got an old 1983 911, and uh, I, I bought it on a whim many, 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 many years ago. Always loved the car. I think you always loved the car you, you, you liked that were hot when you were in high school. And uh, I graduated in 84, so I, I bought an 83. And, uh, you know, it's one of those cars that you could still work on and there's a beautiful community on the internet around it. So, so I told my wife, I'll never sell it because I know every single screw having worked on it for 15 years and replaced everything for 15 years, et cetera. So it's a, it's a passion of mine and uh, it's just a quirky, crazy little car. So. You had a Porsche 911 in high school? No, 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 no. That's what I always dreamed of, right? So, oh. uh, so yeah, I think you always reflect back what what did successful people have when you were in high school, and you know that was the car. So, as soon as I had an opportunity to get a great one, I, that's what I bought. That's what I bought. All right, one more, and and I'll quickly switch. I'll I'll be as quick as possible here. Duke. Is this an overrated or underrated? Yeah, my wife went to yes, my, wife went to, my wife went to Carolina, so uh, UNC. So uh, and then of course you always associate with your undergraduate Wake Forest. So we always say overrated for Duke, but uh, don't tell Coach K that. So. <laughs> <laughs> All right, real quick on the words you rather. So North Carolina, North Carolina State. Uh, you know my uh, my daughter's sitting on a uh, acceptance to uh, UNC uh, law school, so I'm very supportive of UNC in that mission. <laughs> but we have such a vibrant community here in Raleigh around NC State, and the work that IBM does with them, and the number of folks that we've recruited. Both of those are so near and dear to my heart. It, it's hard to make a call on that one. Oh come on, man! You got you got to. Oh, it sounds like it's you got to support your daughter first. Yeah, right? as my well, my wife and my daughter. I'll support that UNC. All right, Wake Forest or Duke. Wake, baby, wake. <laughs> <laughs> All right, that's fair enough. You own that one. You know, what, what you learn when you're 18 is a whole lot different than when you go back to college in the 20s. And uh, Wake taught me a lot of things that were not on the curricula, and I really thank them for that. So, no, wake, Wake's a great school. I still do a, a lot of work with their MBA schools still, and uh, uh, we love the Deeks. We love the Deeks. Public cloud or private cloud? Private cloud, man, private cloud. I, I, I love the public, but... You know, to me, I'm, a, I'm an enterprise guy and uh, I, I see the pain in the face of a lot of our clients on how to do cloud back in their own shop. And I just think there's going to be, uh, I think the private eventually will end up really defining the total cloud story more than what we've seen from the public. So the public guys have set the direction, the North Star. But I think there's a lot going to happen with the private side. Coke or Pepsi? You know, I gave up uh, sodas about three years ago. Let's go with sparkling water. Um <laughs> I, right, have, let you I have the world's biggest soda stream machine. I've, uh, I've, we've got a 20-pound CO2 tank hanging off the side of that thing. It's, uh, I, I love things mechanical. So if there's anything that I can, uh, I can hack and uh, make better than ever designed, then uh, that's what you'll see at my house here. So. Uh, I'm told that Pepsi was invented in North Carolina. That was one of the questions. Why one well, of the Down questions. in Newburgh, North Carolina, you are correct. In the pharmacy down there, you are correct. You are correct. Dunkin' Donuts or Christmas cream then? 
I'm her, I'm told the Krispy Kreme is North Carolina. Could you explain to me what a Dunkin' Donut is? You know? <laughs> All right, forget that one. Here's the most no, important. In, in college, you know, we would, uh, you know, we, uh, Krispy Kreme was, was invented in my hometown, which is Salem, North Carolina. Oh, I see. And, on, you know, a couple nights on the weekend, fraternity brothers, we would go and we would sit in front of the, the shop number one Krispy Kreme and wait for that hot light to come on, and there was nothing. <laughs> So, uh, like I said, there's only one there. It's, it is so far ahead that there is no comparison. All right, we're gonna. I got to do one more, and this is gonna. This is gonna see how intelligent you are because it's, oh. it's it's in my backyard. Right, you know, this will probably air after the Super Bowl, but Chiefs or Niners? You know, my heart's pulling towards the Chiefs. You know, that whole Midwest, and you know, my my daughter went to school in St. Louis, and I think that whole region really impressed me. And uh, it's time for some new names there. You know, I, I lived in San Francisco back in 87, so uh, never became a 49ers fan. You know, kind of always on, always more on the, the East Coast teams themselves. So I think I'm pulling for Chiefs Sunday night. All right. That's the right answer. I knew I liked you, Steve. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for being with us today and sharing your expertise. Again, very well spoken. I can't say that enough, and I can't uh, appreciate enough that, that you, you took the time out of your day to be here. Thank you well, so much. Al, Al, always a pleasure. Thanks to you, and uh, good, good luck with the overall podcast and uh, wonderful questions. I, you know, you're a fabulous <laughs> and, uh, Thanks for a great time. It's, it's good to have a good, good, fun hour during the day here. Thank you so much. Hey, uh, all you listeners, again, thank, thanks for your uh, thanks for listening. But uh, at any time, please reach out to us at almartintalksdata at gmail.com. We'll get back to you. That's how we get the best listeners on the podcast. Thanks, and uh, I'll see you on the podcast. Thanks for listening to the Making Data Simple podcast, where we make data fun. Be sure to visit ibmbigdatahub.com forward slash podcast to access the show notes and uncover even more great episodes. Remember, the views expressed here are those of the host and its guests and do not necessarily represent the views of IBM. Until next time, let's go over and out.